you don't know me, my name's Chris. Um, welcome if this is your first time. Um, the service is relatively fledgling, um, and we're in week three of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and this week I'm going to talk on a balance of work and rest. Um, has anyone booked a summer holiday yet? You haven't? What's wrong with you, Doc? I booked mine the minute my last one finished. Um, if you've been on holiday with anybody who's not your, your family that you grew up with, you'll know that you're probably in for an unwanted surprise, right? Um, when you go on holiday with your friends, or for me, it was when um, I got married to a wonderful girl called Sarah, and um, we went on holiday. And um, I had a particularly stressful job at the time. And so I did something I'd never done before, which is book an all-inclusive holiday. Um, one of those package deals, but it's a really nice one because I didn't want to think. I wanted to get to the airport and I, I wanted them to put me on the plane. I wanted them to put me on the bus. I wanted them to put me in my hotel room. I wanted them to tell me what I was eating for dinner. I didn't want to think about how much was or wasn't in my wallet. I didn't want to think. I was so tired. I was just like, I need absolute rest for two weeks. And for me, if you go on holiday, the sun lounger is for two things, sleeping and listening to podcasts. Like, that is it. Or music at a push. And so I go on holiday. I'm in Croatia by the sea. It's very idyllic. And um, I, I get to the pool and I lay down and I'm like this. And then all of a sudden my wife pops up like Gollum. And she's just like, do you want to play a game? And I'm like, no. No, I don't, want, I don't want to play a game. Do you want to play with me in an hour? No, I, I don't want to play with you in an hour. When will you play with me? And I'm like, how old are you? I don't want to play with you ever. And I was in for, my idea of a restful holiday was completely different to my wife, Sarah. I told this to Dwayne last week as well. So like, it's that thing of like, for me, rest, total rest has a different expression to what my wife Sarah has. Does anybody think I'm awful for that? Does anyone think that that sounds like a really boring holiday? Great, you can take Sarah on holiday next time then, Jerry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can take it, it's fine, and you can pay. We all love a holiday, don't we? We all love rest, and those types of holidays don't put us off holidays, maybe some people, but not holidays. And, um, and it bothers me, actually, when I get to that state of needing a holiday. Like, I want holidays, we all want holidays, but you know when you need a holiday, that for me is an indication that my life rhythms aren't good, that actually I'm kind of, you know when you're crawling over the finish line and you're just like, oh my gosh, I really need a break. And it's, a, it's something where, look, I'm also gonna be honest, I'm never, I'm looking at Kay Parnham, she's a nurse, like I'm never gonna complain about my life. Like NHS staff, who's teachers in the room? Teachers, yeah, crawling over half term, like, you know, people are busy, we have busy rhythms, we have busy seasons and things like that. But ultimately, I think good life is about that work-rest balance. And again, you have busy schedules, I get that. But I think for me, it's very much a point of, like, how do you do life well? How do you have that good balance between work and rest? Um, for many of us, busyness isn't a season. I think it's become a lifestyle. Um, it's, there's this sense of being quite close to the edge all the time. Um, and then when something extra comes, we feel like we've gone over the edge, like way too quickly. There's this sense of feeling overwhelmed. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, this, the very first lockdown, I think a lot of people thought, oh, a month off, that sounds quite nice. We didn't know it would be two years, but there was this sense of like, oh, good, we get to reset. We get to kind of take a step back and not feel overwhelmed because our lives had started to feel like it was spiraling out of our own control and it had just become too busy and too overwhelming. Um, the other day, I, I had one of my best mornings um, for a long time where I'd, 
I've got an armchair that, sorry, it's distracting me. I've got an armchair at home. I sat there for two hours and I read my Bible because I'm a good Christian. And I, uh, I listened to some worship music and I prayed. And to me, that, that was just like heaven. I love that. My wife thinks that that's unproductive. And again, I say that because we are different characters, right? Matt's nodding. He's like type A probably. Like as in some people are like, I need to do stuff. So I'm, I, I, this is all caveated with we are made differently and we do rest differently and we work differently. Um, but for me, I loved it. It felt like sunbathing. I felt like I was just there resting in God's presence, feeding his love. And just it just felt, there's no other word for it, but nice. You're not meant to use nice, but it felt nice. It felt relaxing. Um, it, it didn't, I don't feel like God asked me to do anything or to do or to say anything or to be anything. It was those, you get those moments with people that you love dearly, don't you? Where it's just, just nice to be together. It's just like, oh, that was, that was a wonderful time. Um, and it wasn't for anything other than he just, and both of us were delighting in just being together. Um, and I came out of that time feeling really hopeful, very joyful, kind of recharged, um, and excited and alive. Um, and I think if, if you're a Christian and you're here, you're probably keen to develop your relationship with God too. Um, but if we're being honest, the problem is we don't often find the time. Or we don't stop long enough to be able to really spend time with him. I'm not saying you could all do two hours in the morning. That was just an example of where I've enjoyed it. Um, we sometimes feel that, can feel like if we're not busy, we start to feel guilty. We can start to feel like, oh, I'm wasting time. I think busyness has become a bit of an addiction in our culture. Um, if you're a student, there's a few students here tonight. I've just finished my degree. Like, there's always more you think you could study. There's always more you think you could be doing, right? Like, there's, there's this constant cloud above you that you, I should be doing more. And for those of us who aren't studying now, but maybe in work, you sometimes have this temptation of maybe I could just do my emails on a Sunday night and just get ahead of the game. If I could just do that, I could just get ahead all the time because actually we feel like there's not enough time in our normal week to be able to do that as well. Um, we feel this pressure um, to do all of the time. And I think that many of us can also worry about what other people think of us in terms of, will they think I'm lazy? Well, well maybe I have to prove myself by doing more because I'm worried about what other people think of me. And that starts to rob us of a sense of rest and of peace too. Um, we live in a culture of almost total restlessness. It feels like a culture of unquenchable, insatiable desire for more, 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 more. Um, how many of us after the lockdown this summer, like after we'd had a time of not doing as much, felt quickly exhausted again? I know I did. A few of us in like sort of September, October, like, I'm so tired. Like, I haven't done much. I've seen one person. I just feel really tired. Like, it, it feels like we hadn't got our life rhythms right. They were like these bubbles within our existence, but we still hadn't learned the lesson of how do I get a balance between work and rest and rest and work. In the 60s, um, they thought that with the advance of technology, our biggest problem by sort of this time, 2022, would be that we'd have too much leisure time. What would we do with all of our time? Um, and one study I read said that our leisure time has actually decreased. It's gone down 37% since the, since the 60s. And part of that is because we chose and we choose materialism. We're choosing materialism more than anything else. We believe the lie, and it is a lie, 
if I, if I have more, if I, if I do more, I'll produce more and I'll have more, and that will make me happy. If I have more, if I do more, I will finally be happy. Um, when studies of happy people, um, I'm looking at you, Andy Parnham, who runs a happiness course. So if I'm wrong, don't correct me. Um, happy people spend their time to get money. No, that's wrong. <laughs> correct me. Most people spend their time to get money, but happy people spend their Money to get time. Should I say that again, or did you get that? Yeah. Most people spend their time to have money when happy people spend money to have time. I got there. Thank you. Um, we work far more than we used to. Part of it, I think, is this. I think like, I carry my office with me all the time, and it's constantly going. I've taken my notifications off my phone, and it's liberated me. I mean, I miss out on loads of stuff, but it's absolutely liberated me. Um, Despite, despite all this advancement in technology and, and that we have more than we've ever had before, we have access to stuff we've never had access to before, we are unhappier than we've ever been before. Mental health is just going off the chart. It was before the pandemic. I saw one report saying that, this is, again, pre-pandemic, so I know it's all changed and they're still seeing how it's playing out, but NHS prescriptions on antidepressants were up 34%. There's nothing wrong with antidepressants. My point is that that's an indicator that we're not happy. Psychologists tell us that anxiety is the canary in the coal mine. It's the thing that tells us that something is broken in the system of our life and we need to fix it now. Now, I, I, anxiety is complex. It's complex individually, it's complex as society, and it is as much to do with things like secularism, dissolved communities, abuse, neglect, politics. Um, and there are so, all sorts of reasons, but in our hyper-materialistic culture and acknowledging that we all come from different perspectives and lived experiences, I need to say this. There is more to life than accomplishment and accumulation. There is more to life than accomplishment and accumulation. And it's so easy to get sucked into this, I'm going to use the word empire because I'm going to I'm going to explain that later on. It's so easy to get sucked into this empire and to acclimatize to the normal of society, even if it's crazy. It can be subtle and easy for us to assimilate into a host culture rather than live with the values of Jesus and his kingdom that he brought to us. It's easy to feel powerless sometimes against this culture that's coming against us. It's easy to work on your day off. It's easy to try and get more. Um, but we need to get our worth, not from what we do, but from who we are, or maybe even more, by who we're loved by. Science is showing us um, that actually the, the opposite to to what we, th we need the opposite to what we think we need. That actually we think we need all this stuff and actually more and more it's being revealed that our lives are disintegrating because of our pursuit of this stuff. This culture of accumulation and of restlessness is actually a system of enslavement. And the question is who will liberate us from the tyranny of restlessness? Well, because we're in church, you know the answer. 
In his goodness and his kindness, God offers us a way of escape where our lives are deeply rooted in him, where we can index our heart towards gratitude and contentment and delight and the joy and the peace and the way of Jesus. And God embedded it into the fabric of creation. And it's something that we call Sabbath rest. We don't really talk about that very much now. But in the Old Testament, I'm going to come on to it now. There's a thing called Sabbath rest. In the story of creation, um, God creates the, all of creation in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. So on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, God rested. Now, God doesn't need to, but he put that in there for us. What's interesting about the creation story in Genesis is that humanity was birthed on the sixth day, so that would mean our very first day of existence is rest. It's not work, it's rest. The very first day we existed was from rest. Um, in the Jewish understanding as well, the day begins at night. So again, you look into Genesis 1 and it says, and there was night and then there was, the, there was night and then there was the morning and there was the first day. And you see it all the way through Genesis 1. Or there was night and there was the morning and then there was the second day. What does that tell us? What do you do at night? Eat, rest, sleep. Like in the evening... We start in rest. Our day should start from a place of rest. We are to work from rest, not just rest from work. God programmed this into creation. Um, and there's um, any farmers here? Probably not because we're in zone two in London. Anyone grew up on a farm? No, you liars. Go on. Do farmers, do they leave their fields fallow for a while? They leave fallow, like I read somewhere that farmers leave their fields fallow. So every so many years, they don't plant crops on that ground. This is right? Just nod. Thank you. There you go. Matt's telling me I'm right. So like you, the farmers know that if they don't leave the soil, it, over time, all the work will deplete the soil. There you go. He's nodding again. Thank you. Um, yeah, so like it's, it's programmed into the fabric of creation that work needs to have a season of rest as well. We are no different. So I'm going to boil down. Sabbath is essentially four things. Stopping. So we stop specifically from working, from worrying, and from wanting. So number one. Number two is resting. We rest our body, our mind, and our soul. Delighting. It's a whole day to celebrate the goodness of God and life in his world to pamper our soul with joy. And number four is worship. It's not just a day to have me time, although it is important to have that time, as I said, to rest and to do that. But it's this time to center our heart and attune to the presence of God and those we love. I know if I have a day off and I've watched nothing but Netflix all day, I probably feel slightly rested. But I also know if I've definitely had some time with Jesus in the day, it feels different. Like it just feels, I just feel better. I feel refreshed within my very soul. So today I'm going to briefly explore Sabbath rest, both as a rhythm of life, but also as a resistance to the prevailing culture, always wanting and demanding more from us. So um, I don't think we're going to get it up tonight, but um, Exodus 20, there's the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment, which is verse, um, uh, so it's chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, says this. I'll read it. I think we've got a glitch tonight. So it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor your 
nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Notice the command is twofold. You work six days and then you have a day of rest. Now for us, I think we're quite blessed actually we work for five days and then we tend to get a weekend but you know you could spend a day doing your chores and your shopping all those bits of art so like there is still other work as well as your paid work as well most of us I think need to hear the second part that there's a rest part of our rhythm some of you might need to hear the first part as well so good luck on doing more work but in this great city of London I feel like it's worth hearing that it's healthy to have rest. Um, work is a good thing. In the New Testament, there's an author called Paul. He wrote a book called Ephesians. And Paul says that we are made for good works. Like, it's good. We feel good when we work. But if all of our life is work, over time, we will get ground into the, gra- we'll get ground into the soil and we will become more machine than human being. On the flip side, rest is wonderful. But if our life is all rest, then it becomes empty and meaningless and devoid of any purpose. My point is that both overwork and underwork will rob us of the capacity to live the lives that God has intended for us. We need a balance of rest and work. And for that, we need to tap into this theme of work for six, rest for one. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Deuter just means two, Onomy means law, so it's the second law. Moses gave the first law I've just read, and then 40 years later, he gives the second law as they're about to enter the promised land. He repeats the command, and he says this, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male nor female servant, nor your ox or donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, that your male and female servants may rest as you do. That's quite key. There's a bit of a change there. He says they rest as you do. So you don't demand more of other people. Um, It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, that's not exactly the same as the Exodus verse. If we'd have had that work in it, we'd have shown the difference. There's a di- the difference is that there's two changes. The first change is the first word. In the, in the, in the first law, in the Exodus law, it says, remember the Sabbath. And in the second one, it says, observe. Now, the Hebrew word for observe is shamar, which means to keep to watch over, to guard. It's the same word when Adam is put in the garden, to guard over it. It's to make sure that we maintain these things and we have to be intentional about that as well. The Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of observe is to celebrate something such as a ceremony or festival or in a customary or accepted way. Think about how we observe Christmas. We observe Christmas, we observe Easter, we observe these holidays. The word observe also possesses We won't like this, but connotations of obedience. We observe the speed limit. Otherwise, there's consequences too. That's change one. Change one is that, and the verse is almost verbatim until we get to the end, where there's this added um, line which changes um, the the command in some, some respects. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there. So Sabbath in the Exodus verse, he says, you need to rest because of your rhythm of life. 
Work for six days, rest for one. But in the Deuteronomy verse, he says you need to Sabbath, you need to rest, because you need to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Same command, different reason behind it. In Exodus, the rationale behind the Sabbath, as I said, is grounded in life rhythms. But in the other one, it's grounded in resistance. In Exodus, it's an invitation to delight in God, in his creation and the life that he gives us. And in, um, in Deuteronomy, there is, it's, it's become more of a warning. So remember that you were slaves in Egypt. It's a stark reminder to never go back to being a slave. In Exodus, it's like a life-giving, a life-giving art form where we can, we can tap into it for our soul to thrive. In Deuteronomy, it feels more like a punk rock, goldsmiths-type street protest against Pharaoh and his empire. A bit of background on the story of Exodus, and I'm just going to read a few verses from Exodus chapter 5. This is what Pharaoh says. Bear this in mind. Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. You are stopping them from working. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working. Lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now get back to work. You will be given no straw, yet you must deliver your full quota of bricks. In this story, if you know it, Pharaoh is this brutal, implacable, ruthless tyrant. And no matter how hard the Hebrews worked, it was never enough. They existed under an oppressive system of fulfilling the daily quota for more, 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 and a bit more. It wasn't just Pharaoh, um, it was Egypt as a whole. It was an archetypal social economic system. The Israelite slaves were making bricks for supply cities for Pharaoh and all his oligarchy friends, extra stuff. Egypt's appetite was utterly insatiable and it was an economic system like most empires built on the back of slavery. Slaves don't get a Sabbath. Slaves end up devolving into a subhuman existence, becoming a commodity to buy and to sell, and their only value is what they produce. And one day, if you're bored, come and talk to me. I worked for the UN in modern slavery for 10 years. I, it happens now. We'll go into that another time, but it still happens now. Slaves don't get a day off. They work every day, all day, until they die. Rest is what comes by being set free by God. Not just from slavery, but from a social economic system of an Egypt that is in turn legalized by the false gods of empire. That's what the Exodus story is all about. It's easy to allegorize the story, it's easy to take the teeth out of the bite, but the Exodus story, which is the paradigm for salvation across the whole of the Old and the New Testament, is about freedom from slavery. And it's worth saying that freedom, we'll, we'll explore it one day here, but freedom is not this desire to do what we want. It's not like, hey, I'm free, I get to do whatever the heck I want anymore. Um, freedom is, is from, a life of, from, a, uh, from a life of oppression unto a life of purpose and freedom in God. 
God liberated the Israelites and the story from Pharaoh to go and worship him in the desert. And worship means service. So they're free from the oppression from Pharaoh to go and love God and be loved in turn by God too. We are free to serve God who loves us and is in a good mood with us and has really good things for us. In the book of Romans, again in the New Testament, for those who are new to this, the author Paul wrote that um, we have been set free from, uh, from sin, from being slaves to sin, to be slaves to righteousness. And a paraphrase of righteousness is good living. It's right living. You have been set free from a life which will keep you back and oppress you to have a good life in Jesus. You can be freed from that. Essentially, I would say that, we will always serve something. The system, our own emotions and mind. I know mine can be a tyrant to me sometimes. I don't know about you guys, but we'll always serve something. We get to choose who we serve. And I don't know about you, I'm going to choose God, who, where the scripture also says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Deuteronomy command is to remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Not that you are slaves. You were, but you are free now. You are not slaves to Egypt anymore. We get to live in a new kingdom with a new king. Uh, and this new king said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that came out quite a few times in the morning service today. I feel like God wants you to know that tonight. Don't feel condemned by this. This is meant to say, like, give me a break. This whole preacher is like, give yourself a break. Give yourself a break in every way. Jesus wants to give you a break. He wants you to give yourself a break. And he wants you to, to have the life that he has for you, which is his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He is not a taskmaster who has a daily quota. He's not going to beat us if we don't work hard enough. He's a loving father who wants to celebrate in who you are, who you're becoming in him, and also the purposes and plans he has for you. The Sabbath is also our moment to remember um, that we are made in the image of God. Sabbath is a weekly reminder of our true identity as we bask in his goodness. It is a statement that as the people of God, we are different. We're called to be different. Not, we're not called to be the same as culture at large. The Sabbath tells a subversive story to that of the empire. A story that says no matter what other people try and put on me, I am made in the image of God. We're not slaves. We're not subhuman. Our identity is formed in and through him alone. And all other attempts by society or even ourselves to create our own identity, I can tell you I tried it, it doesn't work. It will dissolve and you'll just be left feeling empty again. And you'll try and reinvent yourself again. And it's not about that. That's work again. The first lie was in the Bible. One of the first lies was when Satan tempted Adam and Eve with the apple and he says, they already had everything, right? They were perfect. They knew perfection. It was good. If you eat this, if you do this thing, you'll have value. That's the first lie. If you just do this thing, you'll be valuable. They were already perfect. It's a lie that we get value from what we do. I've lost my place. We're made in the image of God and in, and in his image where he worked for six, rested for one. He knew the value of life rhythms, of working and resting. This is the subversive story that the people of God get sucked in, can get sucked out of. We need, to get, we need not to get sucked into the story of our culture, which wants to consume us. 
I'm not saying people, like people out there are lovely. I love people, but there's something in there that wants to take us and wants to consume us. Sabbath is not just an act of rebellion against Pharaoh and a system, but an act of alignment with Jesus and his kingdom. Uh, I, I'm going to very briefly share a very brief part of my story. For those of you who don't know me, sorry if you've already heard this story. Um, I, I became a Christian at like 18, 19. Amazing story, I'll tell you another time. Um, but because of that, I started going along to this little church. I lived in Devon, um, and then I got involved in the church um, I was young, uh, I got engaged to the pastor's daughter um, and then that engagement broke down and it was utterly heartbreaking. We'd been together four years, I thought my whole life was set before me and this pain had happened to me along with other stuff that happens in your life. So we've all got our stories, right? We've all got stuff that is like, that's really painful to me, that's quite a deep wound. And, um, and I quickly moved to London. I said something stupid to myself. I said, Chris, we, I've been together with this girl four years, right? My whole life had been kind of crushed. I'm skimming over this. Um, and I said, Chris, you've got two days to grieve and get over it. Get over yourself. I mean, that's ridiculous, really. You think about it now as a more mature adult. You can't get over something like that in two days. And I moved to London. I lived in Devon, moved to London. And, you know, London was exciting. I remember going for a bagel at 4 a.m. in Brick Lane. I mean, that doesn't happen in Devon. In Devon... You want to go for a coffee after five o'clock? You have to go to five o'clock. You have to go to the pub. Like, there's nowhere to go. So, like, I moved to London and it's busy. And God had blessed me with. The, I got a really good job, so with the UN. Um, but I was so busy, I never got fixed. I never got fixed. I was utterly broken. And God, in His goodness, said to me, um, he, he took me to America for you. Actually, He had to break the rhythm. He was like, I need, to, I need to break you out because you're so busy. Busyness is a painkiller. It's not dealing with your problem, Chris. I need, to, I need to take you. I need to have time with you. I need to love you. I need to heal you. And that's what he did. And he's still in the process of doing all that, by the way. Yeah, he still does it every day, helping me to get through that brokenness and that stuff. But really, it's the thing of what I learned actually in that year out was to have a good rhythm, to start to come to God. By the way, Love church. I mean, I'm a trainee vicar. I'm a curate. Like, love church. It's my job. If you're listening out there and you pay my wage, I love church. Jesus is the answer. Church is a massive part of the answer. Being connected, getting into groups, students, villages, things like that, serving, all part of it. But Jesus is the answer. He's the one who will come in and fix us, will reset our rhythms. Um, why am I telling this story? I'm telling this story because I felt God tell me to. It's not in my notes. I just felt God say, there's some of us here who I think he needs to, to break the cycle. I think he really needs to break the cycle of just doing more and trying to get our value and trying to get, we're trying to fix ourselves. I used to be ridiculous. I used to, I, I think I once gave myself, what's it called, what's it called when you give yourself like an abscess or something because I worked too hard. Hernia. I know, I wasn't that active. Ulcer, yeah, I think I give myself an ulcer. You'd like work 12-hour days and you try and go to the gym because you want to look perfect because you don't feel like you've got any value unless you look perfect and no one will marry you and all this stuff, all these lies the enemy spouts out. And God was like, no, I, I, I want some time with you. I created you to have time with me. Come and spend time with me. So I'm sharing that story because I think there's some people here tonight and God's like, I, I want to break you out, but you need to spend time with me. And that's what Sabbath is in our weekly life. It's time with God, where he can be with us, he can love us, he can fix us. Okay, nearly done. I'm coming into land now. How do we do it? 
Um, by the way, all this is voluntary. Don't do anything you don't want to do. Um, but I'm going to give you things that you could do if you want to do. Um, and so number one, this week, remember, stop. Just stop. Stop working, stop worrying, stop wanting. Stop buying for that same day. Stop buying things. I'm just as bad. I mean, every day I'm like, I could go to the shops and buy milk or something. I just need to buy something. But just stop trying. And I'll come on to that in a minute. So stop. Rest. Body, mind, and soul. How, how do you rest? We all do it differently. Like I said earlier on in, in my holiday, my idea of rest is different to my wives, which is different to other people. You find your rhythm of rest. What is it that starts to restore your soul? Delight. Spend a whole day to celebrate the goodness of God in our life and pamper our soul. Focus our attention on, our, on your heart, not on what we want or what we need, but rather on what we've already got as a gift. Um, there's a book that me and Andy and everyone tell everyone to read called The Other Half of Church, and it talks about um, the things that we need to succeed in life on the right side of the brain. Um, and the number one thing, there's four ingredients, joy, loving connection, group identity, and healthy correction. Um, so joy, like what would bring your soul joy? Like how, because that will build connection with you and God. So for me, it's laying there doing nothing, but for some people, it's climbing a mountain or building something or going for a walk or whatever. That's, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just saying, find out what that is and then delight in that, delight, <clears throat> delight in what you've got. And the fourth thing, and this really, I would argue, you could argue with me differently, is the most important, which is worship. Is to, is to worship God on that Sabbath day. It doesn't need to be all day, and it can be in your way, whether it's paint, whether it's dance, whether it's song, whether it's um, meditation. I don't know, is that form worship, man? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, whatever. Worship God in your way. <laughs> but attune your heart to his listen to him, listen to what he says about you, what he thinks about you, ask him that. If there's one thing you do on your Sabbath, next week say, God, what do you think about me? And do not move until you get an answer. What do you think about me? What do you say about me? Theologian Walter Brueggemann says this, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. It doesn't have to be a Sunday. For me, it's like a Friday evening now to a Saturday evening. We work on Sunday, so it can't be Sundays. Um, but for you, there's a day. So I don't want to be religious about this. Oh, yeah, don't be religious about this. Like if you run out of toilet roll on the Sabbath, go and buy a toilet roll. Like don't get stuck. Don't be stupid. Turn your brain on. It's fine. <laughs> so let's not be religious about this. But I'm just saying rest. Choose a day and go, right, today I'm going to do those four things. I'm going to stop. I'm going to rest. I'm going to delight. and I'm going to worship. Sabbath will mess with you if you do it properly. Um, if you don't want Jesus to really impact your life, then just ignore me. Just carry on doing what you're doing. You'll be fine. No, you won't. But do it. <laughs> you know, I said it's voluntary. It's not. Um, I think I'd do. It's nearly pizza time, isn't it? Right. Um, can we get Kim some keys? I'm just gonna, we're going to pray. Um, thank you. If you could stand, I'm going to pray. And we're going to have some time with Jesus now. We've had it the whole time. And he's been so evidently here. And he cares so much about us. That's why he wants us to rest.